We're in James chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. The perils of judging and boasting. The perils of judging and boasting. Stand for reading of God's word. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, that would be God, who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know, the theme of James, we're almost coming to the end of James, so you should know the theme of James by now. Genuine faith produces genuine works. Your turn. Genuine faith produces genuine Okay, good job. Last week, we talked about how to end wars and fights. And oh, don't we have those in our lives? We, we define wars as quarrels, prolonged hostilities, that uneasiness that goes on and on and on between people. And fights are the exacerbations, the battles that take place, the blow-ups that take place. The source, we learned the source of our wars and the sorts of uh, wars and fights was our fallen nature. It was for our desire for pleasure in verses 1 through 3. It's the self-life. It's the all-about-me life. The battleground, again, as always, is the mind, is the soul. And the question is, will your flesh dominate your life or will your spirit dominate your life? The one you feed is the one that will dominate. Now, you don't have any problem to feed the flesh. All you have to do is get up in the morning and 24-7, you have all kinds of inputs that are feeding your flesh. It's a continuum. But it takes discipline to feed your spirit. You must feed on the Word of God. You must pray and have a time with God. You must have fellowship with one another. It's an absolute essential if you're going to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You hear that? Walk in the Spirit, that means live in the Spirit, live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you know what happens? Something starts to pop out of you called the fruit of the Spirit. You're not straining to make it happen. It's a natural consequence of walking or living in the Spirit. All of a sudden, you're going to find yourself more loving, patient, kindness, joy, those types of things will start to emanate from your being because you are in community with God in a, in a right way. Now, when believers rebel against God, we learned this last time, and all of us do this. There's none of us that walks this thing perfect. We all will rebel at some point. When we walk against God, when believers side with the world and become self-centered, and remember, Satan is always instigating this, uh, instigating this, and we buy into the philosophies of this world. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human traditions or the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. You know what philosophies are? Philosophies are these. It's the love of wisdom, it's the theories about God, and it's the meanings of life all taken 
from a, from a philosophical viewpoint of the world, hollow and deceptive philosophies. The person who deliberately chooses to be a friend of the world and its philosophies makes themselves an enemy of God. That was verse 4 last week, and I'll just remind you of that. I'll read this. Do you not know, James chapter 4, verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world in its philosophies makes himself an enemy of God. This is a very strong statement, a very strong statement. You cannot be in fellowship with God and then tamper and sidestep around things in the world or, or dally in things in the world that would absolutely mess you up. The fact is this, the Holy Spirit, remember last week we talked about the Holy Spirit is jealous for you. The Holy Spirit is jealous for you. That was verse 5. Especially wandering believers, the Holy Spirit will do everything to draw you back to himself. And he graces you, and he graces you, and he graces you, and he graces you over and over and over to draw you back, to draw you back, to draw you back. But there is a time when you reject God, and you reject the Spirit's wooing, and you reject him, and you ignore his wooing, and you ignore your conscience. Remember what conscience is. With con, C-O-N, science, knowledge. With knowledge, you are rebelling against God. God will resist the proud. That was verse 6 last week. He will resist the proud. And your arms, remember we've had the little, little alligator up there? Your arms are too short to box with God. You will lose that fight. Hebrews 12 says this, He whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If you are in the family of God and you reject his gentle, drawing hand, you will get disciplined. I think God does it in stages. He, he will leverage on you the least amount that he has, but it will build up until you finally realize, I need you, Lord, and turn back to him. Now, the way out of the friendship with the world trap, the way out of the pit, the, the way out of the miry clay swamp is three things we learn. Submit yourself to God. That means put yourself in order. Walk in rank with God. It's a military term. Submit yourself to God. And you notice who does this? You do this. You, because the Spirit of God lives within you, you're born again of the Spirit, your responsibility is to submit, come in line with the things of God. Secondly, resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee from you. He will flee from you. Whose responsibility is it to resist? Our responsibility to resist. You do it through the Holy Spirit's power. And I'll tell you, you have something that is called the Kratos power. K-R-A-T-O-S, that every born-again believer has. And it is a power to rein in the self-life, the flesh life, and to resist Satan's attack and to resist his bait and his lure, which he has specially designed for you. Aren't you so special? He's got it just for you to dangle it in front of you. No, you can resist that. And then finally, the third thing is, so we submit to God, we resist the devil and he will flee. And then we draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is a promise. I want you to think about something. There's going to be a, a, a picture of the prodigal son that's going to come up on the screen. And I want you to focus on this. I want you to focus on this. The father is, is welcoming the son with open arms. That is anyone who turns back to God God always has open arms for them. I don't care how far you've gone, how, how 
splat you falling on your face. God, when you confess your sins, when you repent and you turn back to him, he is always welcoming. I love that picture. Because what do we do as humans? We, we, we say, well, have you, have you groveled enough? Have you been through enough discomfort? I don't know if I'll take you back just yet. Oh, that's not God. God opens his arms and he embraces us. He says, come back. Come back. I love that picture. In Luke chapter 15, verse 22, we read these, these words about the prodigal. Remember, he wanted to take his inheritance. And he wanted to go into a far country. And he wanted to enjoy himself. I just want to have some fun. Isn't that just the most? If you want to have some trouble, just, just live that one out. I just want to have fun. And what translation, I want to do my thing. Do my thing. And this, this guy, he wanted to do his thing. Finally, he ended up in the pig pen, long story short. Wanted to come back home. And he says, you know, if I come back to my father, maybe he'll just let me be one of his servants. And he and he rose and he came to his father. In verse 22, we read these words. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. This guy was dead when he ran out. He was separated from his father. That's what death is. In Christianity, when we're separated from God, he was separated. When he made things right, when he repented, he turned back, and his father welcomed him. That's a picture of our father. For when my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and he is found, and he began to be merry. And Luke 15.10 says this, There is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Oh, folks, there is joy. When, when you come back to God, he is a welcoming God. Now, when a believer humbles himself, ends the wars and the fights, repents, okay? Humbleness is to recognize your sinfulness, to turn. What will God do? Verse 10, it was a big emphasis last week. He will lift you out of the pit. He will lift you out of the miry clay, out of the pit of despair, and place you on the rock. He will lift you up. Man, isn't that what we want? Now, we said in, in Psalm 40, verse 1 through 4, we, we, we read that about God lifting us up. And it talked about your footing will be made stable. Isn't that what you want in life? Stable footing. Your path will be made straight instead of this circuitous thing through life. Where do I go? One of my, is your path will be made straight. Your despair will be turned into joy. And the S-U-N, the sun, will rise again in your life. And isn't it beautiful when it rises outside? And the S-O-N, the sun, will reign in your heart. That is how you deal with fights and, and, and quarrels and wars and that sort of thing. That was last week. This week, we're going to be talking about the peril of judging and boasting. The peril of judging and boasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to to study your word, the precious word of God that you have given to us that we may know how to live rightly on this side. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts today. Help us to zero in on the things that you want us to hear. Teach us what we do not know and what you teach us. Help us to apply in Jesus' name. Amen. So just an introduction. This is the perils of judging and boasting. It's not too difficult to figure out why we're so eager to play the judge and boast game. We've learned this. To elevate yourself 
by degrading another person. It's very common. We learn this from, from early in childhood. It, we see it modeled all over our culture. You go to kindergarten, you start to really learn it. You get into grade school, you're, you're getting to be an expert. By the time you get out of college, man, you have this thing down, how to be a judger and a boaster. It's part of our fallen human nature. Look, at we have two choices to make, two choices, basically. We can either do anything that we can to satisfy ourselves, or we can humbly allow God to fulfill our, our desires by surrendering to his control. And James urged humility. He urged humility, and he knew that there would be many who would choose instead to play God and judge and boast. Now, for clarity, for clarity, I want you to know that there is an appropriate time for Christians to judge. There is an appropriate time. So does this mean that Christians should never judge? The answer would, of course, would be no. Proverbs 31.9, we're to open our mouth and judge. It's talking about helping the needy. And when is the appropriate time to jump in to helping the needy? Because sometimes you can be rescuing someone from something that God is helping them work through. So you've got to remember that there is a time, but you have to be discerning on this. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person now, when, the, when, when you hear the spiritual person in the Bible, it doesn't mean the, like the spiritual person in the world. Because the Hindus are spiritual. They're getting in touch with Brahma or all their gods. Or, or Eastern religion or Eastern mysticism, is, as it's come into our country, as masquerading as Hinduism, is spiritual. This is talking about Holy Spirit. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. So when the, Holy, the spiritual, the Holy Spirit-filled person are to judge all things. Now, what does that mean? It means to judge spiritual things for truth. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. They can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 5.12, is it not those in the church whom we are to judge? We are to judge overt sin in the church. In your face sin. In context, this was dealing with incest in the church. And it wasn't being dealt with. It was, it was out front. It was before everyone. It was being paraded around. There ha those things have to be judged. Now, this is healthy judging. It's making a determination dealing with righteous living. Now, we're going to start in verse 11 and 12 here today. We're going to be talking about the perils of a judging tongue, a tongue that judges with evil intent, or a tongue that's focus is on itself to elevate itself. So verse 11 and 12, the perils of a judging tongue. Do not, this is an imperative, this is a command, do not speak evil of one another. Do not slander one another. Do not talk down another. This is the third warning in James about the tongue slandering or, or tearing down somebody. We saw it in 126. We, thought, we saw it in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and now we see it here in chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Now, if you're reading this, you wonder, what law? How does this have to do with anything? Well, you're going to get clarification on this in just a second. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver. Now, who would that be? God. God. Okay, God. Who was able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another? So that's a great question. So let's find out what does the word judge actually mean in context here. Well, the word is carino, K-R-I-N-O, and it could, be, it could mean to be judged for right or wrong, or it could mean this, 
to speak condemnation on. And in context, I sp- this is speaking evil of another person. So in context, it's speaking condemnation. It's coming right out and hitting somebody. So to speak evil, to speak falsely, to talk down. We are not to speak evil of one another. We're talking down another person with the goal of elevating, elevating the self, okay? Elevating the speaker. And in the Greek, it is an ongoing process. It's something that's continually happening. Stop it. It's one thing if, it's, if you slip up and it's, you just pours out of you. But he's talking to people that do, do this on a continuum. This is what they do constantly as a part of their life. Stop speaking evil of your brethren. This is a command, and it is a command from God to the brethren. So Chuck Missler has this to say. Chuck Missler has this to say. Why is it that Christians always form firing squads in circles? You're in the middle, okay? That's the picture. There are more newsletters, web pages, expose books written against the brethren by other brethren. It is a commonly discussed mystery by the people in the world, by the secular people, by the Jewish observers of that time for sure. Christians seem to spend so much time on nitpicking, libeling, slandering each other, and it is a tragedy. And it happens all the time, all the time. Now, one of the great Christian rants is this. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but this is when, when you're really going to get it. Heretic. <laughs> you are a heretic. And it's like, oh, gosh, I'm a heretic. Oh, I'm going right to hell. It's terrible. Yeah. So you go, okay, what is a heretic? That's what you want to know. What is a heretic? What's well, a denial of the core values of the Christian faith? Now, what are the core values of the Christian faith? Something that every Christian must believe to go to heaven. Well, I just give you a few. The deity of Christ. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Not a debate. That's something you can talk about. All cults and all world religions, by the way, deny this. All cults and all world religions deny this. We, 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 a core value is the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, your faith is in vain. If they would have found that body, Christianity would, would have been null and void, and Jesus would have been a phony. But they did not find the body. And he was seen by over 500 people at one time. This is not, 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 a, not a, an illusion. We have to believe in the virgin birth, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. No works are involved. And it goes on from there. When a person judges with evil intent to talk down, to elevate yourself, they are speaking evil of the law. And I was wondering, what in the world law is he talking about? He's talking about the Ten Commandments? He's not talking about that because in chapter 2, verse 8, James talked about the royal law of love. I don't know if you remember that. But he was quoting Leviticus 19, 18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we are to love our neighbor, not devour our neighbor. That's the Christian message. Now, remember Jesus, hours before the cross. Now, he knows he's going to die. You give information that is really, really important just before you're going to die. And he tells his disciples this about loving one another. In, in, in John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you. Again, a command. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. In this way, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus realized that there might be some problems with the brethren in the future? 
You bet. You bet. There could be some church issues in the future, brethren issues in the future. 1 John is full of an indication of salvation. One of the indications of salvation is that we have love for the brethren. It says it over and over and over in the, in the little epistle of 1 John. So, to speak evil of a, a brother or a sister, to talk down to elevate oneself, puts you in a position of authority reserved for God only. And again, for balance, there are times when you have to judge for truth. You must be discerning. Discerning. You must speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, when you are judging for truth, you speak the truth in love, okay? Matthew 7.5, remember, the most famous verse in America today is Matthew 7.1. Judge not, lest you be judged. John 3.16 used to be the most famous one, but now everybody hangs on to that judge not, lest you be judged. It's not saying not to judge, but it's, just not, it's a, not to judge hypocritically. Take the plank out of your eye, to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Make sure you have your life in order before you go on judging somebody else. You want to have pure motives and not forcing your agenda. Again, 1 Corinthians 2.15, we said it earlier, the spiritual person judges all things, not for evil intent, not to talk down or to elevate oneself, not to push your agenda, not to put someone in their place, but to reveal the truth in a situation. Give insight of truth in a situation. The intent is for good, not for evil. It's all about your heart, and it's all about your motives. Donald Burdick, a commentator, says this, With shattering bluntness, James crushes any right his readers may have claimed to sit in judgment over their neighbors. This is not to rule out civil courts or judges or discernment with believers. Instead, it is to root out the harsh, unkind, critical spirit that continually finds fault with others. The peril of a judging, condemning, evil tongue. And it goes from there to talking about the boasting tongue. We've seen the judging tongue, but what about the boasting tongue? Verse 13 and 16 through 16, the perils of a boasting tongue. Now, what is a boasting tongue? I'm always right. I am the greatest. I am wonderful. Whatever I have to bring to the table, you should embrace. Okay? The boasting tongue, 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and notice the words, make a profit. In this guy's arrogance, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm a businessman. I will go and I will make a profit. I, I, I. Okay? Whereas, now James is going to, the Spirit of God is going to, through James, going to put this guy in his place. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor, a wisp. If you live to be 100, you know, how, you know what your life is? In the eyes of eternity. Just a wisp, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, oh, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's prideful. It comes, its root is rooted in the prideful one, Satan. He fell because of his pride. Remember that. How does this look? How does this boasting tongue look? Prideful. I want you to, I want you to think about something. 
When I'm tempted to think that I'm better than somebody else, and I start to boast and, and think highly of myself, James Dobson has a little quote here that's kind of cute. Whenever I'm tempted to become self-important and authoritative or boastful, I'm reminded of what the mother whale said to her baby. When you get to the top and start to blow, that's when you get harpooned. <laughs> when you think you're big and full of yourself, get ready. It's a long way to do the belly smacker. A long way to do this belly, belly smacker. Now, in our text, our, our, our text is speaking specifically of a businessman who does not take God into consideration, who's just going to go do his thing. Uh, this, is, this is an exaltation of the great I. An exaltation of the great I. And it reeks of pride. So, what does, this, what does this look like? What does this look like? Well, it looks like the following. I have made myself successful. I am a shrewd businessman. I am the best businessman in the world. I have the art of the deal. Anybody ever heard that? The art of the deal. Yes. I see what no one else sees. I know what no one else knows. I'm so smart. I am so politically and business savvy that those I deal with are putty in my hands. Oh, yes, it's reeks of pride. Oh, how easy it is to boast. Oh, how easy it is to boast. In verse 16, we see, you boast in your arrogance. All boasting is evil. All boasting has at its root satanic. Proverbs 27, verse 2 says this, and this is the right way to look at yourself. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Oswald Sanders says, says this, Boasting, egotism, is one of the repulsive manifestations of pride. It is the practice of thinking and speaking much of oneself, the habit of magnifying one's attainment or importance. It leads one to consider everything in its relationship to himself rather than their relationship to God and the welfare of his people. I thought that was a good quote in his leadership uh, book. I'm great. I'm wonderful. What is the prideful person, the boastful person forgetting? What are they forgetting? Forgetting. Now, this is important. Tomorrow's circumstances are totally uncertain. You don't know what is going to happen in the next few minutes. Those people in Florida did not know walking across that bridge or driving under that bridge, it was going to fall on their car, okay, and crush them. You do not know what will happen in the next second. An unexpected injury, the sudden death of a spouse. Listen to these things that can just throw your life off. The loss of a job. There are a host of surprises that can instantly and completely change our lives. Instantly. We have no assurance of a long life. Life can change on a dime. Literally, on a dime. Oh, how true Proverbs 27.1 is. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You can go from the pit of despair and, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to the pinnacle of ecstasy. In one day, circumstances can change that much in your life. You can go from the pit of despair to the pinnacle of existence, or you can go from the top all the way to the bottom. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Verse 14 tells us the truth. 
tells us the truth. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Even the grandest of humans, the kings, the dictators, the super-duper wealthy that have everything, everything, a vapor. Look at the pharaohs. They buried themselves with all their stuff, thinking they're taking it on. You know what? You came into this world with nothing, and you will leave this world with nothing. The only thing that you are going to take from here is your clothed, in the righteousness of Christ. When you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, oh, you have something great to leave here with. And it's not the stuff from here. This stuff will perish. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is what you want. Even the grandest is but a vapor. Here for a moment and gone. This is the reason that Scripture implores us, implores us in Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. The Assyrians were coming. The ten northern tribes have been in rebellion against God and worshipped the idols and were blending in with the culture around them. Sound familiar? Blending in with the culture around them. And God says, my people will not blend in. You will choose me or choose the false idol, but I will not share my glory with another. And the Assyrians came and took them into captivity. People live in denial when you talk about prepare to meet your God. Hear what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He hits it perfect. He hits it perfect. For his time and our time, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Remember, the last days are from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. Last days, okay? Scoffers will come, deriders, mockers, false teachers. People are going to make fun of you because you believe this message walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You Christians have been saying this for decades, millennia of time. You say this over and over and over. Jesus is always going to come. Watch what he says here. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as there were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. Oh, really? For they willfully forget, willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. He made the heavens and the earth standing out of order. He made the earth and the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished by a great flood. Oh, how God can intervene. It isn't as it always was. The nation of Israel has been in Roman captivity. They've experienced Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity, Roman oppression. It is not the way it has always been. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the Logos, the word of God, and reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Oh, there, there was a great flood. And there will be a time when God comes back and he will judge men and women for their sins. And he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Things are on the change, folks. Things are not the same. That is a lie. It's always been this way. No, it is not. It is we are moving closer and closer and closer to Jesus coming back. All the signs are in place for his return. There's no prophecy that has to take place, Old Testament prophecy that has to take place, that before Jesus can come back. That is the truth. Be ready to meet your God. The atheist, they don't believe this. They deny this. The world, world religions. They deny this. 
They deny the true God. They seek their own way, their own path. The world system that we live in, they don't give this a thought. They don't even give this a thought. Though many people believe, listen what they believe. Many people believe, and I don't know how much you're hearing this, that everyone gets to go to heaven. You ever hear that? It's universalism. That is becoming more and more popular. That is a lie. That is a lie. It's something people want to believe. It's very popular. Though many are in denial, it won't happen to me. Scripture says to prepare to meet your God. This will happen. And hear this. This appointment you will keep and be on time for. This isn't one. Oh, I was late. I, I did. I, the traffic was slow. Oh, I didn't get up in time. I'd hit the snooze a little too many times. No, none of that. You will be on time for this one. You know how I know Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Hear the psalmist. Hear the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 3 through 6. You turn people back to dust. You know, God has our days numbered. All the days ordained for you were given before one of them came to be. God knows the second you come in, he knows the second you go out. Might be a shocking surprise to your family around you, but it's not a surprise to him. He's in charge. And he says this, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, a vapor, a puff, <laughs> or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. Death is the great equalizer. They are like the new grass of the morning. Look at the new grass in the morning. It's all nice and cut. It's all nice and green. It's just fresh. In the morning, it springs up new. It's full of life. But by evening in the summer in August, it is dry and it is withered. And oh, how fast life goes by. Oh, how fast. Teach us to number our days aright, it says in Psalm 90, verse 12, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to redeem the time. Teach us to number our days aright. Be ready to meet your God. Now, how do you prepare to meet your God? Well, we've talked about this like 12,000 times. Of course, that's, of course, that's hyperbole, but you believe the gospel. You know, the simplicity of the gospel, it's so simple. It, the, the, the kid's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's how simple the gospel is. Jesus came to this earth. God came to earth in flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and in three days he rose again from the dead, conquering the grave, conquering death, conquering sin, and whoever believes in him gets what? Everlasting life. It's real simple. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. John 14, watch what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. When you're thinking about the brevity of life and where he's going, Jesus is talking about he's ready to die in short order. Short order. Hours. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I love you guys. If this was not true, I would have told you so. But, oh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come for you. Now, look at Jesus is going to come for us one of two ways. He's going to come at the second coming or the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ, or he's going to come by natural death. And I believe that every believer that passes from here, Jesus puts you to sleep. 
He is right there putting you to sleep. There's some evidence of that in 2 Corinthians and Thessalonians. Now, that's not a direct quote, so don't hit me on that one. That's coming out of the side here. I will come and receive you unto myself. And then there's always one that has a question. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Three and a half years he's been with Jesus. Believe in me. Believe in me. Follow me. Believe in me. Thomas, we don't know the way. Tell us. And then Jesus says these words, the six I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. It is that simple. Jesus said he made a way. about His death made a way for all of us to be able to live with God forever. Now, because we do not know the future, verse 15, involve God in your decisions. If the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. If there's anything that you get out of this talk, in between the, you know, coming in and coming out of the thing, you know, people drift in and out of a talk, get this. Involve God in your decisions. Don't be like the businessman that just says, I'm going to go do this. This is my thing. This is what I want. Involve God in your decisions. Human plans come and go. Only God's plans remain. Folks, the perils of a boasting tongue. You simply do not know what tomorrow will bring. We just do not know. And finally, in verse 17, the judges and boasters. Verse 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, real simple, it is sin. And what does sin cause? Separation. Separation from God, that feeling of distance. You know to do good, to do right, so do it. Do it. All mankind, look at all mankind has a conscience. This is Romans 2.15. All mankind has a conscience. All mankind, every human on the earth has God's law written on their hearts. I've said this so many times. That's why every tribe you go to, they have God's law. They know you don't take your neighbor's wife. You don't take your neighbor's goat. You don't take the shovel. You don't do this. You don't. It's on the hearts of men. Those are two things. And the third thing is, you know this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity in the hearts of all men. That is why wherever you go and see a world religion, there's more than this. For Buddhists, they become one with the creation, one with the universe. For the Hindus, they want to be like Brahma. So you get re reincarnated over and over and over and over until you become a state of perfection, become one with, the, with all the God. And then you have, in, in, in Islam, you get to go to heaven. And, and for the men, it's great. They get 70 virgins. I don't know what the women get. They never says what the women get. But the men, oh, they're going to kill themselves to get 70 virgins. Everybody has it written on their heart, eternity. It's in us. If you won't do what is right, it is sin. This is a summary statement for sure regarding all of our life. All of our life. In context, is to stop judging with evil intent. Stop boasting. It's sin to boast. Sin, sin separates. Sin creates distance between you and God and people, by the way. You realize that. Sin separates and, and distances us from people. Sin brings sadness and a feeling of disconnectedness. How do you reconnect? Hopefully you all have this down. Get an A on this one. 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, if we agree with God that I, what I've done is wrong, 
We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Good job. Way to be. All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Now, look, you're going to slip and fall. When you slip and fall, allow Jesus to pick you out of the swamp and set you on high ground and move on. Move on with your life. Now, look, I want to emphasize this. Many people are stuck in their past. There is a word Cleve McCleary gave us, and I've shared it several times. He was a Marine in Vietnam. He was, several things are blown off his body. And he did not live, live in resentment. But he had this acronym. It was FIDO, F-I-D-O. And it means forget it and drive on. Forget it. That happened to me then. I learn from my past. I don't stay stuck in my past, and I move on. That is what he's talking about. Forget it and drive on. The scripture verse that he uses for that would be Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, it says brothers, but I can say brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. That's a volitional act. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. That's an athletic term. Stretching towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal. I'm going to reach the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Satan desires to keep believers in particular, believers in particular, in the mud and the mire of their past failures and sadness. You just stay over there. You know why he wants you there? Because there you are useless. There you are useless to the kingdom. You're just whining and, you're, and, you're, and you just can't move on past that. I'm no good. Those are lies. You will never be free is his, is his lying calling card. Condemnation is what he throws at us all the time. Look, at whenever you're feeling condemnation, Romans 8.1. This is a good memory verse. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just remember that. You're feeling condemnation. It is not from God. Your job is forget what is behind and move on, not mired in I can't, but victorious in I can. Now, it isn't I who can. Watch this, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through whom? Through Christ who strengthens me. It is not my strength. If I rely on myself, if I say, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to just walk through this thing, fall again, fall again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know what? You can even, you, you must do this, you even have to forgive yourself. Sometimes we say, okay, God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Oh, yes, you can. And you must in order to move on. You, can, you, you live in non-forgiveness of yourself. You will live in that past mud and not be able to move on. That word strengthen is the word endomino. And it means to make strong, to make vigorous. And Christ is the one who makes you strong. He is the one who makes you strict, vigorous. And you can do all things through him. That's the truth. That's the truth. In conclusion, the perils of judging and boasting. The perils of judging and boasting. Questions to ponder. Things to think about. Number one, why is judging with evil intent among Christians such a serious sin? Hopefully you can answer this. It ignores the royal law of love. 
It ignores the royal law of love. It demonstrates to the world, number two, that we are just like them. You treat me this way, I treat you this way. You poke me in the eye, I poke you in two eyes. No, that's not what Jesus said. Remember Jesus' command, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And it's number three, it fosters division and discouragement, something that Satan absolutely loves. He loves Christians to be discouraged, to be separated. He loves families. He's very good at this in Christian marriages. He's very good at this in the church. He has demonstrated his expertise in this. Realize what's going on. Don't allow him to have any type of foothold in your life. Secondly, when is it appropriate to judge? When is it appropriate to judge? Well, we judge for truth, to bring light into a situation, never to promote ourselves, and we always do it gently. Gently is the key. Remember, the goal is to bring people together and not to separate. Romans 12, 18 says this, As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, that's, that's not so easy. I've said this before. That all is pas in the Greek. Pas, P-A-S. Every and all. That means the ones that you like and the ones that you don't like so much. We are to live at peace with all men. That's God's command to us. And finally, number three, why is the frailty of human life such a reoccurring theme in the Bible? Why is the brevity of life emphasized so often? James 4.14, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a moment and vanishes away. No one knows the moment of their departure. No one. Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. And how you prepare, you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That is how you prepare. You simply do not know what time it is in your life. It could be close to your midnight hour, and you don't even know it. There are people that are, you know, five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 80 years old, 100 years old. Their midnight hour comes. You do not know when that hour will come. We would do well, folks, to remember the perils of judging and boasting. Prepare to meet your God. Let's pray. Our Father, we are truly grateful for you and what you have done for us. We thank you that because you live, we too may live. We thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died on the cross for our sins and that if we believe in him, we truly can have everlasting life. Lord, since we know that Jesus has done everything for us, may we endeavor to live here without a boasting, judgmental attitude. May we realize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Anything that we accomplish on this side, you have given us the ability to do. It has been your strength working through us. We are greater because you have been gracious to us. Everything comes from your hands. And I am thankful for that, Lord. Even the initiative, the incentive, the push, I believe it all comes from you. Every good thing comes from you. Right now, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts here. Lord, we, every human has a problem with judging, with gossiping, 
with boasting. We can't go five minutes in a man's conversation without realizing how great we were when in high school. Lord, help us to remember that anything good has come from your hand to us. May we never forget that. And Lord, may we realize always that we need to be prepared to meet our God. It could happen in a moment, in a, in a, in a, in a millisecond. Life can change on a dime. Help us to live in such a way that we include you in every decision that we make. Wherever we're going to work, wherever we're going to go to college, whatever we go to church, whatever, whatever situation we are involved in, we ask you to direct our steps. We want to walk in concert with you. And may thy will be done in our lives. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each one of our hearts. Speak to us in our area of need. Help us to receive what you have for us and then put it into effect. In Jesus' name, amen.